HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by One House. Learn more about our comprehensive hospitality solutions at one-haus.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, September 14th, 2016, and this is the 116th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are the co-founders of a premier food and wine festival in the Pacific Northwest, and I will introduce them in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be the solution. If you see a need or a gap in the market, why not be the one to fill it? If you're inspired and passionate about something, Take the initiative to make it a reality. Don't wait for someone else to create your idea. Do it yourself. You can be the inventor of the next best thing. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very excited to have my guests calling in today from the West Coast. They are Carrie Welsh and Mike Thielen, co-founders of Feast Portland, the fifth annual food and wine festival taking place September 15th to 18th in Portland, Oregon, presented by Bon Appetit celebrating everything that makes Portland and Oregon great. Actually, awesome, it says here. I don't know why I said great, because it's awesome. Okay, so in addition, Carrie is also the co-founder of Little Green Pickle, a Portland-based firm specializing in public relations, marketing, social media, and web services for the food and drink industry. She previously spent 10 years at Food Network as VP of Public Relations. And Mike is 
also the principal at Bolted Services, where he conceives, creates, and consults for high-profile food and tourism-related promotions, projects, events, and initiatives nationally. He has made many appearances on the popular cooking channel show, Unique Eats. So, hello, Carrie and Mike, are you are you there? We are here. Hello. Hi. Well, welcome, welcome to my show. It's great to have you guys on. We're excited to be here virtually with you. Yes, yes. And you guys have a lot going on because Feast is kicking off um, basically as we speak. So I appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with, with me here. And um, before we get into Feast, I, I like starting with people's backgrounds and find out a little bit more about how you got into the hospitality industry. So, uh, Carrie, do you Great. want to start out? Sure. Um, so, 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 like your background. Like, I know you got you were at the Food Network for a long time, but like, how did you how did you land there? Oh, sure. Um, I, my story is uh, pretty simple. I went to New York University um, and landed at the Food Network very luckily right out of college. Um, so, I started as an assistant. Um, there, I graduated NYU on a Friday and started at Food Network the following Monday. So it was a very quick uh, transition for me. And I um, just worked my way up. I, I really, I, I started at the network at a time of humongous growth. Emerald was kicking it up a notch and saying, bam. Um, and Iron Chef Japanese with subtitles and camp was one of the first projects I worked on. So um, over the next 10 years, obviously, people like Bobby Clay, Rachel Ray, Ina Garten, and Paula Dean, and many, many more were all coming up and becoming celebrity chefs. So it was a great time to be there, and I learned pretty much how to do almost anything as it relates to food. Um, we launched Wii Games, cookbooks, um, and a myriad amount of shows um, over those 10 years. So uh, lucky for me, I got to be vice president by the time I left um, and then felt it was time to move out of New York City. And uh, moved to Portland, Oregon, and met Mr. Mike Thielen. Great. Okay, so that's where you guys met. So, so Mike, did you did you grow up in in Portland? Yeah, I did. I was, I'm 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 one of the few natives. Uh, they call them unicorns now in Portland because Portland's one of those places <laughs> become very very uh, populated with people from all over, which is great. Um, but you know, I spent. My, my path was very different from Carrie's. I spent it sort of living all over the place, from Madrid to D.C. to um, to uh, San Francisco, working in a lot of various journalism jobs and working in restaurants. And moved back to Portland actually 10 years ago um, after spending a year in Spain and became a food writer and a food critic. And uh, found out really quick that I loved doing that, but I uh, really loved kind of being out and about more. So started doing food events and um, as that, I just started doing bigger food events, and uh, pretty soon I was doing uh, work, you know, doing sponsorship and brand development for a big festival in Texas, doing activations within festivals um, all over the country. Um, I remember being at Aspen Food and Wine in 2010, uh, doing an event with the Oregon Wine Board and Chef Matt Leitner, and hearing about this person, Carrie Walsh, from everyone. When we were saying we're from Portland, they said, oh, our friend Carrie's moving to Portland. You have to meet her. <laughs> and lo and behold, a few months later, we were doing a festival together. Yeah, so so how, I mean, how did it come about? You met, like, I just imagine you sitting around having coffee, and you're like, you know, Portland needs a food and wine festival. Let's create it. <laughs> Basically, that you summed it up. I mean, really, okay. right, Mike? It was, uh, we met at 
coffee house northwest in uh downtown portland and we did what portlanders do which is like meet for coffee you know and i i still have the facebook message where i was like hi mike Dillon, i'm carrie welch and i just moved to portland and i'm so excited to meet you so we we did that you know just like the networking thing because we had all we had both heard about each other and then i don't know somewhere during the the discussion so mike had ideas he had the basic outline for the events he had sponsors and partners that were pretty much lined up and ready to do this thing. And I think, wouldn't you say, Mike, that you just needed somebody to do it with, probably? Yeah, I mean, I my sort of expertise in festivals is really on the partnership side and kind of on, on some of the business side of it. And, you know, Carrie is just amazing at, at marketing and PR. And honestly, the other thing, Carrie, another one of Carrie's hidden talents is she's really good at HR. She always knows, like, when to hire someone, when to bring someone on. So, you know, I think our skills uh, were very complementary, and we just kind of went for it. And literally, I mean, gee, we we <laughs> we, we decided, I think, over coffee the first time we met, we were going to do this because we both had background in it. Um, and you know, I think within three weeks, I think we were we had filed the paperwork. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. So, I mean, shotgun how- wedding. <laughs> but I mean, it was. Like, it was. We didn't even know each other, and we're like, "Yeah, let's just go into business together. It'll be great." Well, it's obviously worked because this is the fifth annual coming up, and I went to your first one four years ago. That's why I'm I'm due to come back because I, I I miss it. But I remember the first year out. I thought it was so impressive what you guys accomplished, and it was so well organized. And I really have no idea, like how, like, okay, so you decide back then you're going to put on this festival. Like, what's the first thing you needed to do? Or, how, you know, how, <laughs> how does one plan a festival in, in around food and wine in a city, you know? You hire Emily I mean, Crowley, our festival director. <laughs> yeah. That's the okay. first thing you do. Well, there, and then Mike, I don't that. know. I you remember being right in some team. pitch meetings and, and with you very early said, on. Emily's really, like you know, with a festival, there's really three wheels that you have to have to, to make it work. You have to have the sponsorship and partnerships because you can't you can't do it without underwriting, you know. And 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 you know, then you have to have the uh, marketing and PR because you know you, you people need to know about it, and that's you know what carries expertise and brilliance. You know, came in, and then I think it was about six months in. I think Carrie and I realized, oh my gosh, we actually need someone to run this thing. So, <laughs> you know, I think uh, Carrie can tell the story of how she hired Emily Crowley, but uh, you know, we we yeah, had sort of talked about it. And I remember getting a text uh, one morning saying, "I think I hired Emily Crowley last night." Okay. It was at another event on a dance floor because that's that's how I roll, um, or at least how <laughs> I used to roll. But I feel like the. Um, when I saw Emily, I knew that she was a talented event person who could actually, like, put up the lights and make sure that the gift bags were distributed and carry boxes and kiss babies at the same time. So that's why I said to Mike, I'm like, we got to scoop her up before somebody else does. And, and truly her and the team that she's built here, they're the ones that make feast work for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, as I said, it's so it's it, it's so well executed from my experience in seeing it and um it does take a team i mean there has to be a lot of people involved i can't even well how has the festival grown since the beginning well we have six people that work on the team now instead of three just six i mean i'm seven seven that's still small (laughs) it's still very small those those are full-time year-round people i think 
you know, the week of the festival right now, uh, the team swells. I mean, there's probably 40 people who are working on this right now, like, and have been working on this for the last couple of weeks as their primary job. Um, and, you know, there's just hundreds and hundreds of volunteers and brand reps. So, you know, Team Feast, depending on how you look at it during the weekend of Feast, is literally a community of hundreds, if not if not a thousand people who are coming together and representing their media organizations, their restaurants, their, you know, the companies with which they work, uh, plus all the staff, the people who we rent the tents from, the people who set up everything, who pull the permits. I mean, it's really quite an incredible thing to see come together every year. Yeah, so the team works on it year round. Is like the, yeah. the the six or seven? Okay, and then how did you how did you end up with Bon Appetit as the the major uh, media sponsor? That's another fun story, right, Mike? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, I think, you know, it, Portland in two thousand and eleven. I mean, it was really you know I, I, it, I feast as we know it never would have happened had had it not happened as it happened, but. You know, this was a time there was, you know, there was sort of a boom of food and wine festivals happening across the country that were kind of different than, you know, people wanted something a little different than, than, you know, some, some new festivals with new points of view. And people were very interested in Portland at the time. You know, there was kind of a lot happening. Portland was getting a lot of press. Um, you know, and, and there was, I think it just all came together in this perfect cocktail. But Bon App, I would really say, you know, there were some personal connections with Bon Appetit that were here, um, you know, at the time, um, you know, with folks like Kulu Henry, who was the, the former, you know, PR, one of the former PR people at um, Bon Appetit who had worked uh, with the Oregon Wine Board. Andrew Knowlton knew a lot of people here. Uh, there were other people on the staff at Bon Appetit, both on the publishing side and the editorial side. So it just... I want to say it came together really naturally. The first time we met with with Bon Appetit uh, about five years ago, when we were in town for the New York City Wine and Food Festival, I, I feel like the decision to partner was was already there before the meeting even happened. We just walked in, and I think everyone in the room just recognized it as a great fit. Um, Carrie, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just a. Uh... It, we all wanted to work together. They wanted a, like one of those newer feeling reimagined festivals. We were ready. We were going to do it anyway. So we were mm-hmm. re- very, very lucky that. Um, and I would say it was the same experience in Portland, too. The chefs wanted to do Feast. The brewers, yeah. the distillers, the farmers, everybody wants to do it and, and remains wanting to do it. So that's why it works so well, because like right now we're in the middle of, of there's like a hashtag going around that says Feast Week. Because everybody's excited that it's the week of feast, like it's Christmas or something, and that's just an incredible compliment, and we we don't take it lightly. Yeah, no, that's wonderful, and um, I mean, I think I, I think it's great to have the whole the whole city behind a, what is a citywide festival. So, um, on that note, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and talk a little more with Carrie and Mike. So, stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... This episode is brought to you by One House. At One House, we noticed that most serious chefs and managers don't hang out in brightly lit offices, so we go out in the fields to gather the best talent wherever they may be. We meet and talk to them 
like humans used to do back in the day. We are the people people. Our talent sourcing covers salaried dining room, kitchen, and corporate professionals. We thrive in Michelin-starred, James Beard, and mom-and-pop environments alike, from coast to coast. Drop us a line at one-haus.com or at info at one-haus.com for our confidential, up-to-date, and relevant career options, or if you're an operator seeking a culinary or management-level pro. Welcome back to All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Carrie Welsh and Mike Thielen. They are the co-founders of Feast Portland, a premier food and wine festival in the Pacific Northwest that starts tomorrow, kicking off. And I'm getting on a plane tomorrow and going to it. So <laughs> I'm psyched. Um, let's talk a bit about w- what happens over these four days, like the different events you guys are doing. Um Am I right? To, I saw something, 32 events, 13,000 plus attendees, 90 chefs. Is that is that where we're at About now? Right. Okay. <laughs> so what are what like are some of the things? Like, do you want a, a little lowdown of what we're doing, Sherry? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like. I want a preview. <laughs> Mike, you do it. I, I feel like I want to hear what your preview is. Well, thank you. Uh, Feast is a mix. Uh, it's, I would describe Feast as being a, as a, a festival that is both intimate and expansive. Um, and it's an event that has big events. So you'll have a grand tasting for 2,500 people on Friday and Saturday. We do a big Latin-themed night market on Friday night, you know, 2,500 people right on the riverfront, you know, having Latin street food. Um, there's a mix of dinners, you know, from ranging in size from 30 people to 1,000 people. I'm sorry, 30 people to 100 people. That would be a big <laughs> dinner. So you really try to deliver both, you know, the intimacy and the expansiveness of a, of a food and drink festival that you would expect. Um, we do a lot of hands-on classes. So this year you can go take a class, you know, 20 people, and you're learning how a recipe be- makes it into the book, you know, recipe development with the Bon Appetit ta- uh, Test Kitchen. So there's a lot happening. And then there's industry parties and after parties and unofficial after parties. You know, this year – in the last week, there's probably been 25 things pop up. Everything from a off-the-grid brunch with Andy Ricker of Pock Pock and Danny Bowen from Mission Chinese. It's happening Friday at, at you know, from 11 to 2 at, at Whiskey Soda Lounge to, you know, uh, a big chef party that happens every year with live band karaoke, where basically all these chefs that you know and love are on a stage with a live band. You know, so there's just a lot happening with Feast, and I think. One of the great things about Feast Portland, both the enthusiasm that the city has has for this event, which we're very grateful for, and the size of the city, it just kind of takes over the entire town. So when you're in Portland during Feast Week, you can't escape it. It's everywhere. It's in the restaurants. It's on the drink specials. It's in the grocery stores. It's everywhere. So we feel really good about that, and the town has just really embraced and made this festival its own. Yeah, I don't know. It's... It's I'm I'm getting more excited as you speak. Um, Carrie, do you have anything? To, how do you do? Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that might cover it because I, I think that it's the intimate and expansive is exactly right because that's how we offer something for everyone. A lot of people ask, you know, how much does it cost? And they kind of almost think it's like one event, and it's not. It's almost 40 events, um, and there is something for everyone in there. Unfortunately, we are officially sold out for this year, but there's always next year. 
Yep. Yeah, well, and that's that's a, a a good thing. I mean, for you guys, you know, <laughs> it's a good, it's a yeah, <laughs> it's it's great. Um, I also so from the website, I mean, you list the different the chefs, the artisans, the breweries, cider houses, distillers, tastemakers, wineries. I mean, there's a lot of different different people involved, and then you have chefs coming in from from out of town. It's not all local. Um, do you find your attendees are mostly local or also people coming as making Portland a destination? We get a good mix. Um, wouldn't you say, Mike, we have a, a definitely um, the majority are from Oregon, Washington. Um, but we have a lot of people that, I mean, this is their vacation every year where they book, yep. you know, a round feast and come out to Oregon for a week, which is really exciting for our travel partners. And we definitely, I think, help, you know, the hotel business in downtown Portland during the weekend um, because, you know, people are traveling in from all over. We have 35 chefs that come in from around the country to participate in the festival. We bring in um, 20 media from around the country. Uh, so I feel like even just that, that's already 55 people that are coming in um, each year to make sure that they know what's going on in our city and our state, which is, uh, you know, I think for all of us very exciting. Um, but, yeah, about, I would say um, the majority, if, if you kind of do like a 60-40 local to outside or a 70-30, um, that's usually about right. Cool. Yep, that's exactly right. And then, we, you know, last year that, that 40% of folks who come from out of town uh, were comprised of a mix of 48 states, 10 countries, and 7 Canadian provinces. So we get people from all over. Yeah, and um, and you also you have a charity component. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? We do. Yeah, we uh, work with Partners for Hunger Free Oregon this year. Um, we're addressing their school breakfast program um, where we're helping to raise awareness for um, these programs that are already available um, from on the federal level, and a lot of times schools just need to sign up for them. So um, Partners provides access to those programs so that kids who unfortunately are not getting breakfast at home can get breakfast before the bell, before they start school and start, you know, trying to learn. Because if you've ever tried to think or do anything on an empty stomach, it is kind of impossible. So, um, you know, in Oregon, 54% of kids live in poverty, which is a lot. That's over half the kids here um, are unfortunately living in that circumstance. So we're trying to help make sure that they have uh, what they need to get their school day going. Yeah, no, that's wonderful that, that you're doing that. Um, it's, 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 it's nice that it's, you know, and we raised over $230,000 over our past four years, um, for hunger relief. So we're, you know, we just want to make sure that everybody knows that there is uh, a mission behind this and and a reason that you can feel really good about besides the incredible food and drink that you're going to have at Feast. Right. No, it's great. What do you guys, I mean, what do you enjoy most about producing an event? And then what, what would you say is the biggest challenge or, or something that, um, that, that, that's hard about it? I mean, it's probably all hard and also all fun. <laughs> but, <laughs> is there anything that stands out? You go first. Okay, I'll go first. What do I enjoy? I mean, the, thing, the reason why Feast, I think, works so well, um, you know, there, there are, you know, myself and Carrie and Janie and, and Emily and the rest of the team, you know, all involved. But, you know, our skills are very specific. So I think probably, you know, what we do within Feast, even though we collaborate, you know, the program is a collaboration, the chefs that get invited is a collaboration, but we all have, I think, our own point of view. For me, what I enjoy most is really establishing the partnerships. I love 
working with other organizations. I like bringing businesses together. I like connecting chefs to, you know, some of our sponsors. And I think what we're most, what I'm personally most proud of with Feast is just seeing all the great relationships that have come out of it. You know, not not only just, you know, people who, you know, who came to Feast and now live and work in Portland or, you know, chefs who met at Feast and then they go to other cities and they do collaborations or they meet up at, at other festivals, you know, or collaborations, you know, between businesses that have come out of introductions we've made at Feast Portland. So I'd say for me, that's the most gratifying thing that I just love to see because it makes the festival feel like something that endures just beyond those four days. Um, I think what what I like least, I, it's hard to say what you like least. I think ask me on Sunday because usually <laughs> by then, um, you know, I, 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 I'm really good at injuring myself during feasts. So I hope that doesn't happen this year. Oh, and, no. Uh, I usually lose my voice. So uh, probably losing my voice is what, what, I like, what I like least. Okay. That's a good answer. What about you, Carrie? I think uh, um, the challenge, my, our biggest challenge, I would say, as a team is topping ourselves every year. Um, mm. We set the bar high and yeah. we take it really, really seriously. And I know that that is something that everybody tries to do in their businesses. But for a business that you have one weekend a year to show what you're doing, we get one chance. Um, and so we try to make it just the biggest, best, baddest weekend that it can possibly be. And so the pressure to do that every single year, I would say, is is, is by far um, one of the biggest challenges for me to make sure that, you know, even the promotion of said festival is bigger, better, faster every year. So, um, but what a wonderful challenge to have because um, this is our job. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy um, being able to tackle it every year. And especially since, like Mike said, we have a team of people who um, are good at different things, um, but then are also be able to come together. So that's why the challenge is, is there, but it's not uh, insurmountable because of that. Um, the, uh, my favorite thing about working on Feast, honestly, is walking into those events just before they open every single year. It does not get old. It is an overwhelming, gratifying, um, cavelling feeling, like all of those words. All, I feel all the feels, Sherry, when I walk into those <laughs> events. And um, because it's all worth it. It's, it's beyond worth it. You know, everybody loves the events. They have a great time. You know, we're lucky that our team, we, you know, they know how to do this, like, like clockwork now. So I feel like for us, it's just um, an incredible gift to be able to see the thing that you envisioned five years ago in a coffee shop come to life every single year and be bigger and better every year. So, so we're, I don't know. I'm, I'm a lucky girl. That's, that's the bottom line. No, I love that. I love that you can feel the feel. I mean, you work, you know, you work hard at something you want to, you want to like, you know, appreciate it and, and feel good. So I'm, I'm glad that's your favorite thing. I think that's, that's terrific. Now yeah. I have another well, last question before we take a break. So on my last show on episode 115, I had on David Allen Bernal. He's the CEO of Coastal Luxury Management and that includes Pebble Beach Food and Wine, LA Food and Wine, Restaurant 1833, and Cannery Row Brew Company. So, festival event planners to festival event planners. <laughs> uh, he wants to know what was the most non super secret crazy thing that's happened at Feast Portland? And then also <laughs> off the record, like at another point off the show, he wants to know the thing that you can't say on air, but. <laughs> 
But for for the show, what what my so, cell phone number is? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what's something crazy that that's happened? Oh man, crazy! What isn't crazy that happens during Feast, Mike? I mean, um, well, we, we you know we've, we've done everything up. from like breakup fights to like you know yep. we have after parties that go till two o'clock in the morning. I mean, we you know what's crazy is Mike had one year I was you know pregnant which was stupid during feast. And <laughs> well, you can't I had that. to do after party until two o'clock in the morning and then get up at seven and do all the morning shows. I mean, we've, I mean, I, I brought my two week old child to feast and tried to get him into the grand tasting and got rejected. You know, like we've so many things happen during your life, like, and then feast still goes on, you know, and, and that's kind yep. of amazing. I don't know. Mike, what's your craziest story? We haven't had to bail anybody out of jail. That's good news. No, but I think what you said in year one with that, well, of course, we're not going to mention names, but, you know, there was a party once where there was almost a fight between two rather prominent people, and, like, every every food blogger in the country was in the room. So, you know, <laughs> it was our first year, and I remember thinking, okay, I don't know if this is a great thing or a bad thing. <laughs> so that happened. Um, Carrie, is the festival publicist, is it okay that I just said that? Yes, yes, approved. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I know other things. I mean, there's, it's chaotic when you bring you know people together, but mostly, um, mostly it's been pretty incredible. There's been little things that have happened, um, but you know when you bring that many passionate people together, um, awesome things happen. You know what? What somebody asked me last week, they're like, "What's the biggest chef diva moment?" And you know what? What? What's the craziest demand we've ever gotten? You know, reality is is. Chefs are creative types. They make incredible things. They inspire us. So it's an honor to work with them. So, you know, we get a lot of crazy requests, and we do our damnedest to accommodate them because we want, you know, for us it's an honor to work with these creative people. And, you know, we do our best, and the team does their best to try to, you know, rise to that, rise to the occasion and, and respect that creativity because that's out of that comes great things. Terrific. That's so true. I feel like our team is like, we're like dorks. For it, where we're like, do you need baby ostrich eggs at, in like two hours? You got it. We're, we're on top. We're gonna go find it. You know, it's it's yep. exciting to do those things. Panda meat, we we'll find it. And I believe those are real requests. <laughs> no, not those things. Oh, okay. Like really baby ostrich eggs and panda meat. It's kind of sad. <laughs> I'm like, well, they could be. Great. Okay. I think I think you answered the the question well. I think I think David will be satisfied. <laughs> yeah, tell David we'd like to go for a drink sometime and talk about it. Okay. I will do that. <laughs> I want to be there too. <laughs> yeah, you can come. Okay, cool. All right, we're going to take another break here and we're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and then talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. For this commercial break is brought to you by Tax Daughter, and this one's called Walking Like a Cowboy. We're 
back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Baer. My guests are Carrie Welsh and Mike Thielen, the co-founders of Feast Portland. It's time for my speed round game. So Carrie and Mike, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple of things. It's a either or preference situation and you just pick your, your favorite. So are you ready? Ready. Ready. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. Out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. We, can we say all the above? You can. There are no <laughs> rules in my game, so yes, you may. <laughs> How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small. Agree, small. Okay. You guys are compatible here. Communal table. I usually say the opposite. Oh, really? <laughs> well, there's some more. Let's see. Let's see. Communal table or chef's counter? Uh, chef's counter. Either. <laughs> okay. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive Tipping. charge. Oh, interesting. How about Chelsea Market or Pine Street Market? Oh, Pine Street. Depends on what day you ask, but uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Pine Street Market's great. I'm looking forward to checking it out because it's brand new, it's right? really cool. Okay. Yeah, brand new. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. How about, if there's a difference, food trucks or food pods? Uh, What's pods. that? Sorry, I have a train going by that's, my office. That's okay. It brings character. I say carts. Carts. And well, the, the, they're called the. I mean, from Portland, the ones around like the parking lot. They're are they called carts or pods? I thought they were pods. A cart is the actual vessel, pods, but when you have right, two or three of them clustered together or more, they refer to it as a pod. So both answers are correct. Okay. Well, we don't really have many food trucks. Because yeah. You don't. There's not a lot of mobile. Um, not a lot of mobile trucks that go around compared to other cities. Right. Well, from being there, that was the first time I had seen those pods. It was very cool. Um, so, okay, two more: cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Portland? Portland, Portland all the way. <laughs> all right, that's it. That's the game. You did well. <laughs> so uh some industry news um there are a couple couple big articles that came out recently one of them was in the new yorker and it was a profile pete wells has his knives out was the title by ian parker and um this is talking about the new york times critic pete wells and uh about about his uh how he approaches reviews and and how restaurants react to them and um it was a good read i felt you know there were some there were some points he made about that he didn't like to give one star reviews cuz people people tend to not like them like like why are they deserving that level why can't they you know like i don't know it was interesting i didn't know one stars were hard for him and he noted how he's sometimes he's regularly spotted so sometimes his meal is slower than others um what did you guys think of this this piece? I thought it was amazing. <laughs> you know, first of all, it was very well written, and uh, you don't see you know you got to love the New Yorker for that because you don't see as much really high quality food writing anymore, or writing about food writing as it were. 
Right. But I just I really enjoyed it because you really got to know him through that article. Like he, I could almost picture him in my mind and the way that he eats. And, you know, I, I, I think that reviewing is an incredibly difficult process, although I would also say conversely that none of us truly understand what chefs and restaurateurs go through the battle that they go through on a daily basis just to keep their businesses open and good. So I, I thought it was pretty fair on, on both of those fronts. Yeah, I, I I I agree with that. I do think I got I feel I have a better understanding of of him and what it's like to be a reviewer and it's hard, you know? I mean, it's very hard. I don't think I could do it. I think the weight of it, you know, of like they have, where he was describing about, you know, how he knows that he could close restaurants. I, there, some of the local reviewers here in Portland have said the same thing that, you know, it really does weigh on them as they're writing articles. I mean, Mike, you used to do it. What, did you? Did it weigh on you when you were writing about somebody and you knew that you could kind of potentially negatively affect their business? You know, there's one thing I think. I, I was never – I never enjoyed writing uh, bad reviews. I will say this, though, and this is this – is, there are critics, you know, when you're part of that, that circle of critics. I mean, there are critics who will come right out and say they, the the, the – Nasty reviews are the ones they like writing the most. I wouldn't say that's the case with, with, with most critics, but there are some of those out there. So I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Pete Wells is one of those people. I think he's fair. Um, I also think that, you know, what I got from that article was, you know, it's there was the reference to Craig Claiborne in the beginning of the article, and I think that, you know, Pete Wells is upholding a tradition that of of, of food writing that is not adhered to so much. I mean, it, around the country, you know, in L.A., they, the critic is no longer um, anonymous. Uh, Peter Pl- I'm sorry, not Peter Platt. Adam Platt is no longer anonymous. I mean, if you go on and you think about all the rules that, that food critics abide by, it's not a, you know, tr- the traditional rules no longer apply in most markets. And I'm not, that's not a bad thing. It's just sort of a reflection of what, where we are with food journalism. But what's so great about Pete Wells is you know he's he and the New York Times still play by those rules, and that you know having food criticism that is fair, where the the critic goes three or four times, where they wait three or four months before they write the review. I mean that's just something in this age of Yelp and blogs that you don't see as much anymore. So um, you know thank God for Pete Wells. Yeah <laughs> no no true and um, I mean he he talked in the article about how he. He wasn't excited about writing the negative review that came out on Per Se. And that ties into the other article I had, which was in Town and Country. It was titled Thomas Keller on That New York Times Review and the Future of Per Se by Gabe Ula. And it was another really, really well-written article. And, um, you know, it was the first time Keller uh, talked about the review where this is where Pete Wells took him from four stars down to two stars, which pretty much shocked the industry. And I think it, it says it shocked Keller. And um, he says he in it that he admits maybe we were complacent. But um, I don't know. that I, I enjoyed reading that one, too. I feel like I got to know Keller and his take and, and uh, you know, better. Nick, I think what um, from that whole controversy with um, Keller, it was shocking and refreshing to see him just be so honest about it and to kind of admit in a way, you know, not and not fully, you know, kind of mm-hmm. to defend himself a tiny bit, but also just to almost like just accept the criticism. And, and in that article saying, you know, that sometimes getting kicked in the teeth is the best thing that can happen to you. You know, it's, 
You mm-hmm. just need, I mean, anybody who's doing something creative. I always think that food is so interesting because for chefs, their art is on a plate, has to be beautiful, but also edible and taste good. I mean, there's really just not a lot of art that you eat. Um, and I think that for, for those chefs to just maintain that level of quality on all those, um, in all those areas is, is extremely difficult. And I feel like for Thomas Keller, he recognized that maybe the quality had slipped. Um, and it forced him to reevaluate his own business like anybody would do. Like if something like that were to happen in our businesses too, we would probably react the same way. You know, just, I'm sorry we failed you is what he said. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, good for him. He really, as a business owner, you have to accept responsibility and, and fix it and move on. And I thought that that's why he came off so classy in this so entire classy. thing. Cause he didn't debate it. He just, he just accepted it. He's classy. I mean, he he is. He takes the high I mean, road. He's Thomas Keller. He's classy, yeah, and you know? <laughs> he's so well respected. And um, you know, yeah. Go ahead. I have one com- one comment on that article. First is that's the the article by Pete Wells. You know, kind of shocked everyone. But you know, Ryan Sutton wrote the same article for Eater a year earlier. Um, people mm-hmm. don't talk about that one as much, I think, because. You know, because uh, you know, obviously, New York Times is 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 sort of the the, the reviewers of, of the you know, it's it's the ultimate review. But I think that for a lot of us who follow, you know, for, who a lot of us who follow food journalism, I think that one didn't have as big of an of impact. Uh, maybe because Eater is a newer, um, you know, newer sort of a newer uh, media source. I think a lot of people still think of Eater as like a food blog, but, you know, I think, you know, Eater has been actually doing some incredible restaurant criticism the last couple of years. And, you know, people like Bill Addison and mm-hmm. Ryan Sutton work for them now. But, you know, um, that article, it was very similar to what Ryan wrote a year before that, that, that piece came out in the New York Times. But, you know, the, the way that both of these pieces, like in the, in the manner that Pete Wells is a true critic and Ryan Sutton is a true critic, um, Keller is a true chef. I mean, that level of humility mm-hmm. is not something people see as much anymore. I think a lot of times when chefs get bad reviews, I mean, Carrie would know more about this than me because she actually represents a lot of chefs. But you know, it's, it, it, it is, I think, sometimes a feeling of, of chef versus critic. And, and you know, I think uh, Thomas Keller responded in a way that really showed a lot of respect for the institution that is the New York Times. Yeah. yeah. No, great points. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. And I think, yeah, I think people did pick up that the Ryan, Ryan Sutton wrote uh, on that on Eater, but it wasn't, I mean, Eater isn't as big of a platform, at least around, I mean, the New York yeah. Times is, I don't know, people like us were reading Eater, but maybe, I mean, it's growing, True. but I feel um, when it's something goes in the New York Times, it's like, yeah, it, it, it affects and, and reaches out to, to more people, but, but you're absolutely right. Um, so there, okay. That's our news this week. We're going to take one more break, come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience and then we'll have the final question. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Music for this break is brought to you by Rectech, and this one is called Dues Paid.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Mido. Here's the rundown. Location, 399 St. Martin Street, Miraflores, Lima, Peru. The concept, blending the culinary boundaries between Peru and Japan with a Nikki menu that focuses on Japanese flavors and techniques under a distinct Peruvian vision. The executive chef, Mitsuharu Tsumaru, with head chef Caesar Choi and pastry chef Dahlia Sefuentes. So why did I go? Because I was in Lima on a solo trip checking out its amazing food scene, and I heard incredible things about this restaurant. My experience. So my lovely industry friend, Maria Elena, who was my episode 103 guest, she gave Mitsuharu a heads up that I was coming in solo. And I was then very lucky to receive extra royal treatment. I was seated at the sushi counter and expecting to enjoy the current Nikki tasting menu. But instead, I was given a preview of its upcoming tasting menu. And it was called 200 Miles. Course after course, I was blown away. What did I get? So the menu consisted of about 14 beautifully presented courses Names from dim sum, churapan, nigiris with lobster and momoji. There was a course called sand. There were desserts called reef and mussel. I really just saying it isn't going to put justice on it. I will post some pictures. But um, really, each each course, I was I was very impressed. It was it was amazing. The ambiance. It's a casually sophisticated, energetic space in a stylish multi-level building. There's an impressive rope installation covering the entire dining room, which appears as the Peruvian and Japanese flags by different directions. I'd say it's perfect for any food lover, whether dining alone or or with friends. Interesting tidbit, Mido is currently ranked number 13 on the world's 50 best list and number 5 on Latin America's 50 best list. Mitsuharu uses rare ingredients and cooking techniques from the Amazon jungle to add another layer of depth to its, its intricate style. Personal fun fact, I was the only one in the restaurant who had this special menu. Apparently, I only, was only the third or fourth person to try it. I would say hashtag spoiled. Many thanks to Mitsuharu and his team and my server Fabrizio for the wonderful Peruvian hospitality. Now, the cost was $150, but full disclosure, I was comped. Would I go back? Of course. Website is mido.pe, and that's M-A-I-D-O. So it was quite spectacular, and I was really, really spoiled, and I didn't expect it. So I'm very grateful. Uh, have, you, have you guys... Uh, been to um, Lima, Peru. <laughs> we have it. I have it. I don't know about you, Mike. Have not. Have not. But I know Maria Elena. But now I want to go. Who to ask I mean, I always have wanted to go, but now that's kind of delicious. Yeah, it blew me away. This whole meal. I mean, the cross between Peruvian and Japanese cuisine. It was. It was really, really um, different than anything I've ever had. So. Um, Okay, it's time for the final question. So next week, my guest is Kate Edwards. She's of Kate Edwards Consulting, a top New York City-based restaurant consulting agency. So Carrie and Mike, what would you like to ask Kate? Oh, boy. Mike, do you have a burning question? Oh, I'm all festival all the time now. So uh, (laughs) we could ask Kate to come to our festival. (laughs) Okay. 
would you like to come to Feast next year? Um, I would ask Kate about how is she advising her clients on the tipping policies, um, and is she seeing a change there with uh, minimum wage increases? Because that's a lot of what our clients want to talk to us about right now. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, what is tipping? Is that is there a change happening there in the restaurants? Like it like it has been in New York. Okay. Some people are trying it um, where they're uh, it's all inclusive. A couple of restaurants have done it. Some have been successful. Some have not been. Um, But I think a lot of our restaurants are just seeing it as a a tidal wave, a very, very slow moving tidal wave that's going to come over the next few years um, and separate the men from the boys and the women from the girls a little bit because, um, you know, as the minimum wage increases, um, it's going to force people to look at their business plans and their profits and losses in a different way. That's what I'm hearing from our uh, restaurant tours, restaurant openers, or owners, um, and they're just kind of nervous about it. So I would, um, if I'm a restaurant consultant, I'm wondering, she must have an incredible perspective on that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. I think it's a terrific question. We'll certainly talk about it. And um, side note, publicist to publicist, I just want to say I'm, I'm in awe of everything you do as, as a PR person out there with your company and representing so many amazing chefs and restaurants. So um, well, right back at you. Oh, I, I'm thanks. in awe of you doing that in the Big Apple in New York City. <laughs> I'm like, man, Portland's one thing, but New York is another. Yeah, well, thank you. But I, I, I yeah, no, I think um, it's not easy doing PR, but I feel like, uh, I don't know. You, there's a strong dining scene out there in Portland. And you're you're representing most of it. So. <laughs> there is. There is. I mean, well, we are lucky because there's a strong dining scene, a strong interest in food here and beverage and artisan products. And isn't it wonderful that that's, again, what we get to do for a living? So I yeah, definitely feel really grateful. I'm grateful that you're coming um, yeah. to see us very, very soon. I know. Thank you. I'm, I will be there tomorrow late afternoon. And uh, oh my I'm gosh. looking forward to it. It's going to going to be i was thinking as you guys were talking about the after parties i'm like all right weekend no sleep <laughs> get your get your drinking shoes on and uh and do it for us because we we have to you know do those early morning things but i think uh, too um let's uh let's have a, a feast high five when you get here absolutely well i'm I'm excited to be coming, and I appreciate so much you guys coming on the show today because I know you have a, a lot going on, being that the festival's kicking off tomorrow. So um, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, I'm going to wrap up, tell everyone who I've been talking to. So my guests today have been Carrie Welsh and Mike Thielen, the co-founders of Feast Portland. It's a premier food and wine festival of the Pacific Northwest, presented by food, but presented by Bon Appetit. It's taking place September fifteenth to eighteenth, starting tomorrow. Check them out at their website, feastportland.com, on social media, Twitter and Snapchat at feastpdx, at Instagram feastportland, hashtag feastpdx, and apparently there's a another hashtag hashtag feast week <laughs> so <laughs> you can find those and you can find out more about carrie and mike their companies littlegreenpickle.com carrie pdx at carrie pdx is her handle and mike is boltedservices.com and his handle is mike thielen at mike thielen 
You can find me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and we're on iTunes and Stitcher. Many thanks to my show's fall season sponsor. It's One House Hospitality Headhunters. Their website is one-house.com. Twitter at one underscore house. Instagram at one house. And that's spelled O-N-E-H-A-U-S. Thanks to my fabulous engineer, Pierre, who are pulling this all together. And thank you all for listening. I'll be back next week with another live show. I'm Sherry Bayer. Hope you'll tune in then. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Everybody gets low.